0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. So after five years of the podcast, we've talked a lot about calories, macros, weightlifting, cardio, we've heard from world-class powerlifters, bodybuilders, doctors and coaches. And I like to think a lot of what I've put out there so far has been largely reflective of my own experiences and passions and interests in this space. But as a coach, I would be lying if I said that I didn't have to tackle other topics with my clients on a near daily basis. And namely, these are clients' behaviors around and relationships with food, eating their various histories and emotions around it. Now, my stance as a coach, for those of you who haven't been coached by me or, or don't pick this up from my social media, it's often one of pragmatism. For example, I believe that comfort eating is a normal human behavior, and that's why we have terms like good home-cooked meal. That's why cooking is, is such a huge comfort to many of us, and that's why eating out at a restaurant is seen as a treat, a lovely, leisurely thing to do with the people you love. And often clients think that comfort eating is a bad thing. It's not. And trying to change that natural human instinct, ironically, then creates all sorts of problems around, quote-unquote, dieting or just being happy living your normal life. So I really coach for balance and acceptance of balance instead of this kind of all or nothing mentality, which a lot of my clients get caught up in um, and is very hard cycle to break. Another issue I often face with my clients is the presumption that because they over-restrict and then inevitably overindulge that they now have binge eating disorder. And I'm always at pains to explain that overeating because you've spent the last three or four weeks on a very restrictive diet is not clinically diagnosed binge eating disorder. And again, it's very human. And what we need to do is come away from the all or nothing mindset and we circle back to a more balanced approach. However, while these issues are commonplace, I've also encountered many clients who struggle hugely with compulsive behaviors and emotions around food who struggle with very real binge eating disorder and who have a very difficult time trying to break the habit of emotional eating. These are clients who I often will refer to various therapists who specialize in eating disorders and or disordered eating. Which is why today, after the world's longest intro, but I feel like I needed to say all of that, But it's why today I'm very excited to have on the show just that, a professional that has her own history with an eating disorder and is committed to helping others going through the same thing or similar things. So
1: welcome to the podcast, Lisa Unger. Am I saying your second name right? You are. You are. Thank you. Yeah, Lisa, it's like hunger hunger without the H, which is quite appropriate, really. Thank you so much for joining us. So Lisa, I think we should start with you. How did you end up working
0: in this space? And what is your own story of struggling with an eating disorder?
1: Thank you, Chloe. I think I'll start by saying that my story is how I see it is because I've done my own work. It's not If you'd have asked me even a few years ago, I might have given you a different answer. So when I was a little child, I was extremely skinny. I used to get teased for being so skinny by my by my sister. When I was six, unfortunately, I lost my brother. He he died of a form of cancer. There was no such thing as bereavement counseling in those days. And I saw my parents, you know, really struggling and in a lot of pain. And I sort of became the good girl. You know, I did whatever I was told. I never rebelled. I was that people pleaser from when I was six, really trying to please everybody. I was extremely, extremely shy. And as I grew up, like, you know, at the six, because I was this skinny child, I I had freedom to eat whatever I wanted. But when I started maturing and developing, I just didn't know what to do with my body. And I was really, really self-conscious. And it progressed so that I used food as my coping strategy for my emotion, because whatever my parents said, and please believe me, there is no judgment of my parents. They were fantastic parents, but obviously this was many years ago. And you know, you can only deal with what you know. And my parents were amazing and they didn't know what was going on inside me. So any emotions that I had, I cope with with food. It would numb me. So I would eat my dinner and then wait for everybody to go and I would sneak in the kitchen and take loads of ice cream or chocolate, whatever I could find. I started to develop size-wise as well as maturing. As did you know most, people, most girls at that age, I went to an all-girls school. And we started going on classroom diets together. And we used to do things like take something called x would make you go to the toilet and it was chocolate. It looked like chocolate. It smelled like chocolate. And we would thought we were so clever. We have, that screwed up my digestive system for many, many years. When that didn't work, there was another one that I, that I would take. We would restrict together and we would binge together. And then I would binge on my own. And I got very big and I was so unhappy. And when I look back now, I realized that I wasn't actually unhappy so much. Because I was big, I was just unhappy, and being big added to it. Because I was, I tried, I cannot tell you any, every diet there was in those days. I tried them all. I even went and had injections, and I didn't care what I was injected with. I didn't even know what it was, I do know. And then I used to have, they used to give you about six tablets to eat before food, 10 tablets to take after food. I mean, horrendous what it only did to my body but I was, but it's really I'm telling you so that you understand my desperation and I thought that all the answers to my being unhappy were because I was big and really they weren't that was just an you know a side side thing okay so
0: so you went through this and you know it, I think so many women can relate to what you're saying it's your body changing whether you're talking about puberty or you're talking about pregnancy or you're talking about the menopause and i agree with you i it it sounds like you were going through some stuff before that happened already but it does throw people into a sense of a a lack of control a panic a a desperation that will lead them to try anything and you know this Mm -hmm. is what i've spent 12 years now trying to clear up with my clients is this these ridiculous approaches to dieting you know whether you're talking about atkins or you're talking about keto we are now Mm isempic which a scary amount of my friends are on and I can see celebrities that I follow all of a sudden in the last six months <laughs> have gone from a very healthy, you know, normal, beautiful body to being absolutely tiny. And I think we all know what what's going on. But it, it's 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 so, so you went through this and and so then how did you start to
1: come out the other side of it? What was the turning point for you? What happened? Well, part of it was I met my husband actually, when I was at my very biggest And he, in all our years together, he's only ever made one comment to me ever about my size. And he gave me a lot of confidence and support. And I was at university. He didn't live there. He used to come up and see me every weekend. So what I used to do was I would eat what I would call nutritiously healthy every week, during the week. And on weekends, I would eat what I wanted And I had this switch in my head that because I was giving myself permission to eat what I wanted, I didn't feel the need to binge. I just stopped binging because I didn't need to because I knew I could have it if I wanted it. I'd already given myself permission to have that choice. And I do that a lot with my clients now because I explain to them, there is no such thing as bad food unless it's gone moldy. That's the only time it's bad. It's just food. And when you give yourself permission to have it, then it takes away that, oh, I don't know, that compulsion to eat it. When you restrict yourself from something, you compu- you have a compulsion to eat it later. That all goes, Well, actually you have a choice. And I think that's one of the biggest parts of what I'm doing with clients now is I'm giving them choice. Have it if you want it. Actually, I don't
0: want it. It's so interesting. I, I use this approach with my clients too. It's firstly why I'm such a big fan of tracking, although sometimes that's not for every client and it can actually work against them and cause a lot of food preoccupation. But for a lot of clients, I'm a big fan of tracking, especially the ones who do over-restrict, to show them like, no, you can have a chocolate bar. No, you can have ice cream. No, you can have a glass of wine. And that's very liberating for them. And also another thing that you said it's taking ownership. So if you decide you go to the pizza restaurant with your friends and you decide, no, actually... I'm not gonna order pizza, it doesn't align with my goals right now. That's taking ownership of your choice and own it. And and if you, on the contrary, decide, no, actually, I've been, you know, really kind of nutritiously aware, really like smashing through kind of my my commitment to my goals for like a few weeks now. And I don't wanna eat the pizza. Own it, eat the pizza and then get on with your life. And you're right, it is a flick switch of like, no, I'm in charge. The food doesn't have control over me. I have control over the food. And it it takes a lot of work. And as I say, a lot of the time, I do have to refer people on to people like you because it's not something that I'm qualified in or educated in to that level, to that degree. But it is such a game changer. Can I just ask, before I go on to the next question, you said your husband's only ever made one comment about your weight. Do you mind saying what that was? Just because I'm curious. He said I
1: couldn't sit on his lap because I'd break his legs. Okay, <laughs> so not the best. I mean, <laughs> he did well in terms of like a quantity, in terms of a yeah quantity aspect, in terms of a quality aspect. <laughs> I dropped the ball. It's all right. We've been together forty-one years. We're doing okay, but we we argue about other things, but not my like, never never has been anything to do with size ever except that.
0: I think a lot of my clients kind of come to me thinking that they have this really kind of deep insecurity or sadness and, and when we dig deep and we work together for a while it, it kind of materializes that they're in horrific relationships with men who are very controlling or verbally abusive and i do i do encourage everyone listening if you're in that situation ask yourself is the problem you or is the problem them uh because i think i would say at least over the 12 years at least four clients and i can remember all of them by name and experience it materialized that actually they were fine they were in a really horrific relationship so
1: something to reflect on another thing that we i do with clients as i teach them what i call the bill of rights and it's about being assertive because if you're always somebody that is first of all being so aware of everybody around you and you're not listening to your own needs it's very difficult to move forward because what i'm teaching you is to recognize what's going on in your body and to you know, answer your own needs. And if you're only ever answering someone else's, that that's not going to happen. So it's about being assertive. It's about having the right to disagree, having the right to choose, having the right to be heard, all of those things.
0: I completely agree. And I, I find it interesting as well. You know, you, you say that you were a people pleaser and I was too. And I think it's very hard when your love language is to please someone else. And you get so much from that. And then I think it becomes very easy to fall into a really negative dynamic in a relationship. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) So, okay, as I mentioned in my very long intro, I speak to clients almost daily about quote unquote binge eating, which they often mean is a term rather than a diagnosis. And often they presume that because they over-restrict and then inevitably overeat, that they have BED. So as a professional in this field and someone who's suffered from, I would presume, diagnosed binge eating disorder, can you talk us through the difference between the terminology of, oh, I binge eat, which means I I overeat
1: and I go too far sometimes, and actual real binge eating disorder? Another way of thinking about it is about the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder. And I like to think of them as like on a continuum, on a spectrum and there's lots of commonalities between them. But an eating disorder is a medical diagnosis with a big component being mental health. Disordered eating might be somebody who has a history of dieting, who is somebody who does do these restrictions, and then they can only do it for so long, and then they might binge afterwards because they haven't eaten all these delicious things that they've really wanted to eat. And it's that thing, isn't it? You know, I take a biscuit, I eat the packet. But disordered eating refers to abnormal eating patterns. But with an eating disorder, it's much more about your way of coping with life. And you have no alternative. It just takes over. And it re- I think to me, obviously, when I see the difference between disordered eating, eating disorder. It's it's when it really takes over your life. Like for example, if you have an eating disorder, going to a restaurant would be just so difficult because you're you're looking at other people are there. They might judge you, judge what you're eating. That you can't eat that food, or it's just much more interfering with your life, and you've just got no choice. I completely understand what you're saying, and yeah, no, I, I do agree with it. Would you say that in terms
0: of binge eating disorder specifically, and only because, and we can move on to, to other things, but only because that's you know uh, the catalyst of the question. Would you say it's more of like a disassociated state? So they're, they're not particular, particularly conscious or present when they start the binge. Whereas overeating and feeling like you can't get satiated and you you keep trying and you keep, you know, you can't stop is much more of like a conscious effort.
1: Does that make sense? I do see what you're getting at, but I wouldn't necessarily agree. Because just the, anybody who has binge eating disorder or any eating disorder, it's totally individual and it can be for totally different reasons. So you can't really pick out, is it always is Sometimes people eat to numb, sometimes people will binge to purge and actually the purging is the result that they need uh, for whatever reason. There are just so many aspects to it. But usually there is a history of dieting it starts with dieting. So that's that's really interesting. Okay, so let's
0: move on from that. Can we talk a little bit about specifically kind of emotional eating, which is something a lot of my clients really, really struggle with. And I potentially, I don't know, again, you can clarify this, it falls under the disordered eating bracket. But with emotional eating specifically, so many women find that they go through a hard time with work or they go through a hard time in their marriage or as a mother, whatever it is, and they get home or they put the kids to bed and they turn to food. And it's it's not a binge eating situation. It's just, oh, I feel really down. So I'm going to eat, I don't know, four slices of toast, for example. Now, again, I don't necessarily think there's anything really wrong with that. I think it's very human. But when clients are, st- are trying to lose, I don't know, let's say 10 pounds for health reasons, for very, very real health reasons. And this is something that they're really
1: struggling to knock on the head. How do you tackle it with your clients? Okay, the first thing is I absolutely agree with you. Everybody emotionally eats and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I think, again, when it starts to be your only tool to get through the stress, that's when it becomes more of an issue. So what I try and do with my clients is, again, I'm talking to them. A lot of people actually don't even know what they're feeling. And I think the first step is actually, can you identify what the, the emotion is that's led to the four pieces of toast. Because let's say it's stress and you eat the four pieces of toast, it might delay it for a little bit, but then you're still going to feel the stress afterwards. And on top of that, you often feel frustration, guilt, shame, all the emotions that come with that emotional eating. So what I sometimes try and do is if people can identify what's going on, say, okay, what is a better way of dealing with that stress? Is it that you just, if you've got a garden or you're able to you know, go go outside with a cup of tea, even just sit somewhere? Is it that you could phone a friend? Is it that actually, if I have a bath and light some candles, that's going to help me with that stress and I'm going to feel a little bit better? But what I always say is, it's not about eating the toast. If you do that, if you can delay it for a bit with whatever works for you, and then the ask yourself, well, actually, do I still want that toast? And if you want that toast, have that toast. Enjoy that toast. I do have the only rule that's that I ever give anybody is about how you eat, not what you eat. So for example, you've been stressed, you go and have a bath, you still want that piece of toast, but maybe you don't need the full. Give yourself permission to have it, but make it a royal occasion. Sit at the table, put a podcast on at, You know, people talk about mindful eating. It's really boring on your own eating with nothing. But but it's really important to eat with awareness. So you can put a podcast or the radio on, but no television, because how many times have you eaten some chocolate in front of the television and you think, oh, where's that (laughs) gone? So uh, you've got to eat with awareness. You've got to eat it slowly, and if you're going to eat that toast, at least get some enjoyment out of it. So. That's my only rule: sit at the table, make it a raw occasion, nibble it, eat it slowly, etc. And then you usually that one piece of toast is enough because it's satisfied the comfort. You've given yourself the choice to eat it, and it's not got that compulsion again. I love that. I think it's such a good point. And something I use with my clients a
0: lot is is pause, take a pause, and reflect. Like you say. Okay, what is the emotion? Where is the stress coming from? And actually even just the the act of reflecting, that in itself takes over the action of then overeating and you actually get more from it afterwards. My business partner, Emma, she loves journaling. She's a really big fan of journaling. So she's like sit down and journal on it. Now I journal for different reasons than that. Like that's not really my approach to it. You know, as she said, we're all different and we all deal with things differently. So I journal, but not in that kind of sense, not in that kind of reflective sense. But I love what you say there about like, it's going to be much more beneficial for you if you identify what this emotion is. And fine, okay, that might take some work but you're actually going to really benefit from it in the long run versus this like short kind of knee jerk response, which as you say, is now going to add to your stress because it doesn't align with your goals. I really love that. Let's talk about you and and kind of your, your approach as a professional in this area. So I know you talk a lot about eat, feel, grow and heal, which you say are all the areas that you need to work on individually in order to be able to change your kind of negative or destructive
1: eating behaviors. So can you talk us through eat, feel, grow, heal? They're my like four building blocks of change. Now, it's not all about the food so much when we think about how we behave around food. We think it's the food itself that is keeping us stuck. The food is important, but it's not the only area. So there are certain things, when I talk about food, my eat building block, Yes, nutrition is the core and we need to get that straight, but we don't need to be perfect. A lot of people who struggle with their eating are perfectionists because they make rules for themselves about how they're gonna eat and then they can't stick to them. And then they've broken these rules and that sort of can, can yeah, you know, keep the way that they're eating alive. Our brains are wired to keep our body alive. And we need nourishment to be able to do that most of the time. So, yes, I don't make anybody eat three meals a day if, if they really don't like three meals. But I do actually say that three meals is better because we have our blood sugar. So, lots of people are doing the Zoe project at the moment and they're testing their blood sugars all the time. Not
0: you started
1: on. No, <laughs> I'm not the biggest tried. fan. But anyway, we, <laughs> so cravings mood swings lethargy are the way that our brain communicates to us their need and we need to have a balanced approach to eating to help with all of that and to make sure that we're getting the variety of nutrients that we need so for example when you're not getting all all the nutrients your brain is going to be driving you to eat because it wants to make sure that you get these nutrients, but your brain can't say to you, okay, I want you to have um, liver, for example, because you're missing vitamin A. It just tells you to eat. And if you eat the wrong stuff, as in when I say wrong, it's not providing these nutrients, it's going to say, no, no, we need more. And it's going to drive you to have more. Just because it's contextual to what you're saying, and then I want you to
0: carry on because this is really interesting. I don't know if you've seen the research, I'm sure you have, The research on humans being driven to overeat on calories when they're not getting sufficient protein in is your body, and as you say, it's you know, I I suppose it's evolution, it's survival. It's driven to eat a certain amount of protein per day because obviously protein is the one nutrient that doesn't store in the body, and there's always in a cycle of breakdown and synthesis and breakdown synthesis. So we're driven to have a certain amount of protein per day, and a lot of people who struggle with obesity and, and and overeating and cravings and things they, it's very simply that they're not hitting their protein target per day um well their their body's kind of like i said evolutionary target so they overeat calories. And I find that really interesting. And I just, I love what you said. And, you know, I suppose in some ways, the same can be said for fiber, but in a kind of a different context than a drive, but more just the satiating effect that we should all be eating more fiber and we'd probably struggle less with with cravings. But I find it really interesting. And I just thought it was quite apt with what you were saying. So carry on.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And also, I don't believe in cutting out macronutrients from your diet because you need them all. They, Your body requires them all in different amounts. So the kind of nutrition that I'm teaching people is about what makes up a balanced plate, for example. So how much protein, how much carbs, how much fats, how much vegetable. I also would talk about, yes, mindful eating, because not everybody realizes that. So for example, Chloe, if you think about food, think about your favorite meal, do you get any physiological reaction in your body? No. Okay, well, even me mentioning the word food, my mouth is watering. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Sorry, that's where I was going with that. (laughs) Saliva is the first way that we digest our food. And how do we get saliva in our mouth? Well, the anticipation of eating by looking at it, thinking yum, yum, and whatever, by the smell. And our mouth starts to water. That's why we can't walk through supermarkets when they're baking bread, because we just want to eat it. The second bit of digestion, It's chewing. None of us chew our food enough. And when the food hits our gut, hormones are released. Hormones are like chemical messengers. And they go through the bloodstream to the brain and they tell us that we've had enough to eat. But there's a problem. They take 20 minutes to get there. So if you're somebody who really eats really quickly, you're going to think, I'm still hungry. I need more. And you eat more. And then suddenly you say, oh, I'm so full. Because that's when. messages have got there that actually you've had enough to eat so we need to slow down and when we can slow down we can tune in better to hunger and fullness you know when you mentioned at the beginning you said about going to a pizza restaurant i believe that you can go out and eat in any restaurant if you can tune into hunger and fullness you will find that you don't necessarily have to finish everything on your plate which is what we were taught when we were growing up you might have half a pizza. You might have the whole pizza, but if you're tuning into your body and listening to your body, you're not going to overeat. And then you don't have to feel guilty and you don't have to feel shame. But if sometimes you have had had enough for half a pizza and you choose to eat the whole pizza, that's fine because that's a choice. At least you know. So, that's a lot where, you know, eat comes in. Also, our brain does not understand the difference between restriction and a famine. And so when you start eating again, it thinks, great, food's in abundance. I better hang on to it because I don't know when the next famine is coming. So it can take a long time, like, you know, for your, your body and your brain to tune into so actually food is abundant and we don't have to worry and it can let weight go. The second building block is feel. Change can be intimidating and, you know, it can bring a lot of fear and anxiety. And that's where emotional eating comes in. It comes in as a coping strategy. Often we've learned that in childhood, as I did. You know, I couldn't show my emotion. So I, I know that it's like quite a common saying. People say they ate them, but that's, it's not for everybody, but that's how it was for me, that i couldn't express myself so i would binge and then that would numb my emotions and we need to become more emotionally resilient and what that means is that we can deal with the negative emotions with we have tools to deal with the negative emotions they are not controlling us to overeat and that's a really important part and grow is about cultivating new habits and beliefs and shedding those old ones now you know, this can really help us move forward and it isn't easy. You know, if, if I've had all these behaviors since I was a child, it's not enough to say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. We have to break it down, take small steps to change. Part of it is learning why whatever that coping strategy isn't helping you. I find that learning also where this coping strategy came from is really important and then you can say, okay, well, does it serve me now? Or is it true what I thought and why I did that habit? Is it actually true? And this can really help you facilitate change. But I say, I think it's really important to know you break it down, break it down, break it down until it's not too big a step and just take it slowly. And that can really have a positive effect on your relationship with food. And my final building block is heal. It, it's healing our thoughts, our thoughts about us. I mean, this is where like, you must find with what you do as well, body image, body esteem. How we talk to ourselves is heartbreaking. We would never talk to a friend like that, never. And yet we think we talk to ourselves, the names we call ourselves, we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. We focus on it and, and we don't like what we see. And we just really, we abuse ourselves. And these thoughts are so strong because we have them over and over again. So we need to do a lot of work actually to change our thoughts. And the other thing is body esteem and self-esteem are totally intertwined. So for example, you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see and immediately, oh, you know, you're so big, you're so this, you're so that, and then You lose your confidence in yourself. So a lot of what I do is about working on self-esteem and on how you perceive your body. And I think by focusing on these core areas, you can really free yourself from the behaviors that are keeping you spinning and keeping you stuck in this cycle of how you eat. I love all that,
0: and especially on that last point. You know how you're saying, you know how you talk to yourself matters. You know you're you're the only person in your head all day. So believe me, if you keep telling yourself you're ugly, you're going to believe it. And then it's like a domino effect, isn't it? Different areas of your life just start to fall. It's it's really sad. And I like how you say, you know, be how we kind of were talking about how to be in a relationship, be assertive, be authoritative when you need to be. It's the same with yourself, catch yourself and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And again, like like we've been kind of saying, it takes work and it takes time, but the time is now, there's no time like the present, start doing it now. I, I love everything you said, and I love how you break it down into these kind of four pillars that, that everyone has to deal with, which is, you know, I guess the, the practicality of how they eat you know, how they feel, you know, like we talked about emotional eating, you know, their, their old, old habits, their old behaviors with food and healing them. And I, I think it's such a a brilliant approach. I suppose, you know, we're, we're coming to an end now. We've still got a little bit of time left, but I think a good thing that I wanted to touch, touch on with you, what to look for and what to do if you think someone is struggling. And I actually just want to preface this by saying a lot of my clients will change their diets, you know, like I say, under my coaching, which I do very responsibly. And with everything that Lisa and I are talking about today in mind, always um, very watchful eye. A lot of them will, in a really positive way, coming from a really positive place of self-love, not hatred, change their diet, start taking care of themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of them get really negative commentary back from friends and family, and while I completely agree that it is really important and the why I why I'm asking Lisa this question to keep an eye on, on people and and kind of be aware what to look for, and I hope Lisa will touch on this better than me because I'm I'm not well schooled in this, but how to how to deal with it. It's also such a thing as like if somebody's getting healthy, that you should be supportive, and I ask anyone listening or any of my clients who who might be a victim of this. To just kind of be a bit introspect for a minute and ask yourself, am I doing this from a place of self-love? Am I doing this in a healthy way? Am I taking care of my body and my mental health as I do this? And if the answers to both of those are yes, you have nothing to worry about. And those comments should be like a water off a duck's back. And if the answer is no, then hopefully everything we're saying today is going to help you. Um, So, okay, Lisa, what to look for? And what to
1: do if you think someone's struggling with it? This isn't in isolation. It's not like they have one behavioral sign, or one psychological sign. It's a, it's an overall picture. So I think there are certain areas. So the first one is behaviorally. If you notice, for example, that people are becoming obsessed, like really obsessed over what they're eating, you know, No, I can't possibly eat that. There's a real stress factor to it. I think if they're showing a rigidity, a dietary rigidity that can never be broken. But yeah, if there's secretive behavior, like if you notice every time after after they've eaten, for example, they disappear into the bathroom for half an hour, or they're always tired and exhausted, extreme exercising, but not like... It's great to exercise, to move, especially if you love it, but it's more that, no, I can't have dinner tonight. I've got to go to the gym. You know, It's that sort of obsession, a really obsession with it. So those are a few behavioral signs. And then we have the psychological signs, which could be a really extreme distorted body image, extreme mood swings, because if they're not getting any of the nourishment they need, their mood can go up and down. And oh, an obsessive fear of gaining weight, that you notice and a really big one i think is social withdrawal if you're really trying either not to eat or binging all the time you don't want to be with other people all of this has a real impact on your daily life so if you're noticing that they're preoccupied with food all the time as i said that it's interfering with regular activities they're closing down socially they're not seeing anybody and as i said not everybody will show all these symptoms you know An eating disorder, as I mentioned before, is just individual. They come in various forms and they may not fit particularly into one category. What to do about them is, first of all, remember that an eating disorder is a serious mental illness. It's not a win and it's not anyone's fault. So often somebody with an eating disorder will deny that they have it or they don't realize that there's a problem but it doesn't mean that they're not ill. So the first thing to do if you're worried about somebody is approach them with compassion and kindness. Don't sort of go in and say, I think you've got an eating disorder because they will immediately close down. The, one of the best, best things to do is actually inform yourself about eating disorders first. And there's loads of websites that give a lot of information on what you're, what you should be looking at. But remember to express your concerns to this person without blame or without judgment. And really just, do you really wanna know that they're okay? Are you okay? Show them compassion, kindness, and explain why you're concerned. So I've noticed that you're not seeing your friends anymore, or I've noticed that you don't wanna eat with us anymore. Don't give them a list of 20 things, because again, that's really overwhelming. They're not gonna be able to listen to that. And don't react if they get angry or defensive. Remember, this is a mental illness, okay? So one of the things you could do is just encourage them to, to get some support. You know, say, you know, would you like me to come with you? Would you like me to help you make an appointment? But I'm really concerned about you and I think it would be beneficial maybe if you could get some extra support. But don't be discouraged if they will don't want it. It's a mental illness. I know I can't stress that enough. Don't be discouraged. Maybe try again in a couple of weeks. So those are the main things their their behaviors, if you notice their thoughts and that their their new eating patterns. Those are the three main areas that you're looking at.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful. And I think as well, I do think everybody needs to reflect, myself included, on judgment. I think it's I know like I've been in therapy for years and it's something that comes up all the time is my feelings of judgment towards myself, towards others and vice versa. And it really is like the death of any kind of forward movement in any kind of relationship for any reason. And I really like that. You know, if you really are coming from a place of compassion, you should be very open, very neutral to the answer and just be there to help and to love. I think that's that's a, a really important thing that you said. Okay, Lisa, I'm just so grateful that we've had you on today. And I I think it's been really fascinating and so, so helpful for so many listeners. Like I say, whether it's something that I think is more commonplace and quote unquote normal, like comfort eating or stress eating something that's a bit more a specialist and and serious but also common. I don't want anyone listening to that to be like, oh my God. It's like there's a lot a lot of people are having to deal with a lot of things and it comes in a lot of different guises. But it is slightly more serious to say that you think you have real binge eating disorder or any kind of eating disorder. And it's something you should definitely seek help for. And I just think you've been you've really shone a spotlight on it. You've really made it very understandable and normal. And I think you've just been so, so helpful. Please, can you tell my audience where they can find you, how they can work with you
1: or or just simply learn more from from you if they're interested? Thank you. Well, I'm on Instagram sometimes. I have a website, lisaunger.co.uk. I have a freebie on there if you would like an ebook about emotional eating. So please download it. There's lots of tips and information there and you can get in touch through my website, through Instagram, anywhere. And if you just want a chat, it doesn't have to be that you immediately think you're going to sign up. But if you just want to chat and to know where you are now, then please feel free. I, I love chatting.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of people will be coming to you. And, you know, I'm you're definitely kind of a tool in my kit that I need for my clients. So, yeah, I hope, I hope if anyone out there has really resonated with any of this that you do reach out. You always know someone really loves their job and really cares when they say, feel free to just hit me up and we'll have a chat as opposed to like buy my this, do my that and putting out free content as well. It's just a very, very good sign and one I look for in in professionals. So I'm I'm really impressed by that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Lisa. And thank you to my lovely listeners for tuning in yet again. As we've talked about, I am now bi-weekly doing the podcast. So we'll, we'll be back in two weeks time. And I hope you all have a lovely rest of your week. If you like the podcast, please like, please subscribe, please share on social media. It really, really helps. And we will see you in a fortnight. Bye guys.
1: Podcast Network.